1: Pie today? Yes,
2: yes, yeah, I won! woo So that's a yes on the
1: apple
2: pie? I just went big time playing High Five Casino on my phone! Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games, yeah. So
1: yes or no on the apple pie? Woo!
2: Ha ha! I won again!
1: I'll take that as a yes. Drive
2: around. Have you had your High Five moment today? Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five, high five casino. casino.
3: When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning.
2: Welcome to the Hornets Hivecast, presented by Charlotte Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Associates, the official eye, ear, nose, and throat care provider of the Charlotte Hornets. Here's your host,
4: Rob
0: Longo.
1: Hi, friends, and welcome to today's edition of the Hornets Hivecast, the official podcast of the Charlotte Hornets, brought to you by Senta. Charlotte Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Associates are the official eye, ear, nose, and throat care provider, of your Hornets. Rob Longo with you today on what is sadly yet again a Silver Linings edition as the Hornets dropped their fifth consecutive game in Washington last night against the Wizards 118-104 and now fall to 15-41 and on a regular season. Wizards win the season series, by the way, three games to one as Charlotte will look to bounce back tomorrow night against a very good Boston team in Boston. We'll have your game preview for that there, of course, on tomorrow's edition of the Hornets Hivecast. In the meantime, we got to talk about this one, recap this one, provide you with our Silver Linings and get the latest news and notes from the lead writer of Hornets.com, that is the one and only Sam Perley. Sam, thank you for joining me on today's edition of the HHC. Told you you would get a couple days off with this home stretch that we had last week, and now it's back to almost everyday podcasting with me after these road games.
3: Yes, thanks for having me, and it's been kind of, it was a little bit more strange. It was was like three nights in a row off after playing Sunday night. So once you hit, it feels like when you play every other day or all those back-to-backs, by Tuesday night, I almost didn't know what to do with myself. Was like, this should I feel like there should be a game tonight, so uh, it was a little strange to get a little extra rest, particularly when it was like three nights in a row after playing Sunday afternoon, but good to be back and talking Hornets basketball, of course.
1: Yeah, it did feel a little weird. Hornets had multiple days coming into this contest. They had multiple days off going into last night's game in Washington. They had a rest advantage against the Wizards and put it to fairly decent use there in that first half. Washington ended up leading it after 12 minutes of play, 32-31. to 31. Hornets were doing a good job on the offensive class getting second chance points opportunities because the Wizards were shooting 55% from the field in that first quarter. The Hornets were at about 47-48%. And Going into the second quarter, things tightened up again. As Of course, it was only a one-point deficit at that point. Charlotte was able to outscore the Wizards 30-29 to 29 in that second frame. We were all tied at 61, and then the bottom kind of fell out there in the third quarter as Charlotte shot just 24% in the third frame 0 for 6 from beyond the arc in that third quarter alone the Wizards used a 23 to 9 run in that third quarter to really put things out of hand there starting at about the 817 mark of the third frame Washington outscored Charlotte 27 to 15 in the third quarter and then we go to the fourth frame Charlotte just playing from behind Couldn't really get a whole lot going on. They lose the quarter by two points. Ultimately lose this one by 14 at the end of the day. As Christoph Brzingis, you got to tip your cap where credit is due. And he went off. He had 36 points in the contest last night. Had eight three-pointers. He was hot. Sometimes you just got to tip the hot hand. And that's basically what head coach Steve Clifford said after last night's game.
3: You know, tonight we just didn't come out uh, in the third quarter with the same, you know, offensive purpose and energy. And Porzingis obviously got going. You know, we made two mistakes at the end of the first half, which led to, you know, two wide open threes for him and then kind
0: of got him going, you know, which is what happens with a lot of primary scorers.
1: Sam, that's what it seemed like to me where the Hornets have this thing this season where they go through these stretches where they just basically go cold. We saw that over the course of what this is now a five game losing streak. We saw that the other day against Orlando where they had multiple runs go against them and this time it was just one big bad quarter in that third frame, like I mentioned getting outscored 27-15 to 15. I don't think it's more so the 27 points I think it's just the offense going cold there and only scoring 15 points there through those 12 minutes Christoph Brzingis had 18 points in the third quarter alone, so he outscored Charlotte by himself, and I understand trying to stop the hot hand and that sort of thing, but at the same time, the offense has to show up there too and that's been a recurring issue for this Hornets team all season long.
3: Yeah, and you hit the nail on the head, unfortunately with the margin of error sometimes, with the injury and things like that it only takes a two to three minute stretch sometimes we've seen in these past couple games whether it's been at the end of the fourth quarter or somewhere in the second half Uh, last night was almost the entire third quarter that things can just kind of get away from you quick and uh, that's just kind of how it is in the NBA sometimes not just the Hornets but all teams I mean that's why they they constantly hear about you know play 48 minutes and uh, just kind of solely looking at that third quarter box score you know Hornets didn't have any turnovers that quarter Uh, Washington had five that the Hornets only managed to score two points off of. Like you said, they shot 24%, percent 6 from three. Didn't allow Washington to get to the free throw line at all. So very, very kind of a strange quarter that you'd think with a turnover differential, not sending the other team to the line at all, that you would kind of be in good position and just for whatever reason they couldn't get the offense going. Zingas was just really, really good in this. I mean, his three-point shot, I think he tied a career-high with eight threes, 36 points. I mean, really, really good. When he is clicking, he is a really, really tough player to play against, just with his height and his stretch four capabilities and the way they play him at, at forward and center, too. So, yeah, that's kind of all it took. I think the lead got up to whatever it was, 18 or 19 in the fourth quarter, midway through the fourth quarter, and they kind of righted themselves, you know, with a few minutes to go, but by that point, it was too late, too. So, yeah, unfortunately, it's something we've seen a lot this year that only takes like one little bad stretch and it can kind of throw things off course for sure.
1: Chris Porzingis last night, 13 of 22 from the field, 8 of 14 beyond the arc. He only went to the free throw line three times. He was 2 of 3 from the charity strike. But you go back and you really hone in on that third quarter and what Porzingis did. 7 of 8 from the field, hit all four of his three pointer attempts for 18 points. He also had five rebounds in that quarter as well. How close was this game? Well, Washington led it seventy eight to seventy one with about five minutes left to go in the third quarter. The Hornets were already trying to stop a thirteen to four run, and like I said, that got extended to about a twenty three to nine run there throughout the course of the rest of the quarter. But at the end of the day That was the largest lead for the Wizards at that point. It was only seven points. So, you know, crazy how things can turn on their head that quickly, especially in the NBA. But, like you mentioned, I think one of the other things, too, that stood out to me, Sam, is kind of the not only the offense kind of going awry there as well, but the fact that the big three, quote unquote, and that's what I kind of labeled them in my halftime show last night on the Hornets Radio Network with Gordon Hayward, Terry Rozier, and. LaMelo Ball those guys combined for 35 points in the first half they were very very quiet there in the second half at halftime LaMelo Ball had 13 Terry Rozier had 11 Gordon Hayward had 11 as well Gordon Hayward finishes with 15 LaMelo Ball finishes with 16 and Terry Rozier finished with 19 so it just was a culmination of things where nobody was really scoring the basketball there in the second half
3: yeah and I would also chalk some of that up to you know the Hornets You have to kind of go back and look at it again and you know, in terms of like the shot selection and things like that, it didn't really feel like they were forcing any sort of bad shots. The Wizards' defense was also really, really good. Uh, Delon Wright is a really good defender who they started. Brad Beale had 10 rebounds. Uh, you know, he was, I thought he was really good. Gafford is obviously a big body. Porzingis, we've talked about, is really, really good on the defensive end as well. Um, and Denny Abia too is really taking a big step this year. Uh, still kind of coming around offensively. Last night he had 20 points, but great rebounder, great facilitator, and a really physical defender too. So Washington had a very good, you know, all-around defending caliber starting five in this one. And I think just sometimes when the offense, you know, we've seen it. and This is again typical of, of a lot of teams. Is sometimes when you're not getting shots to fall, the frustration builds up, leads to a lot of live ball rebounds, the transition stuff, and it just kind of at some point it's hard for the defense on the other end to kind of keep up with the offensive struggle. So uh, I thought they did an okay job considering they only gave up 27 points and only allowed 15, but uh, it was so much poor Zingas in that quarter and how good he was, especially from behind the arc, that, yeah, it was just tough to kind of recover from there in the fourth.
1: Hornets basically did everything right except score the basketball. Only seven turnovers that resulted in just 10 Washington points. You take a look at the second chance opportunities. Yeah, Washington was able to pick up 21 second chance point opportunities. They did outscore the Hornets 30-24 to in the bench point category as well. But at the end of the day, Hornets just go cold at the wrong times. Shoot forty-two percent from the field, twenty-nine percent from beyond New York. As the three-point shooting woes kind of continue here for this team, did shoot eighty-one percent from the free throw line. They were just seventeen to twenty-one, but still able to get that percentage a little bit higher compared to over the last couple of games, specifically. For Charlotte Wizards on the other side shot a little bit over fifty percent, forty and a half percent from beyond the arc, and they were fifteen to seventeen from the free throw line as well. And as of course we've already harped on here, Kristaps Porzingis leading the way with thirty six points for them. Team high twenty for P J Washington. Good news, all five starters were in double figures. For the Hornets bad news is they didn't get a whole lot of help off the bench like I mentioned with just those 24 bench points. Charlotte falls 118 to 104 in our nation's capital last night. Silver linings come your way next. Here on the Hornets Hivecast brought to you by Centa.
4: You're probably careful with your personal information. But what about the other places that have it? Like the doctor's office that mixed up your files. They have your social security number. The power company that mistakenly cut your service has your payment info and last three addresses. And the hotel that lost your reservation has your passport info. Your information is in endless places out of your control. Any one of them could accidentally expose you to hackers and identity theft through lax security, breaches, or simple mistakes. But LifeLock monitors millions of data points every second and alerts you to a wide range of threats. If your identity is stolen, a U.S.-based restoration specialist will fix it, guaranteed or your money back, with plans covering up to $3 million for stolen funds and expenses. Mistakes happen. Don't let not having protection be one of them. Save up to 40% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to
2: 40%. Terms apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs.
1: Rob Longo and Sam Pearlie here on today's edition of the Hornet Hivecast, as always, presented by Senta. Sam, time now for our silver lining performances from last night's game, a 118-104 to loss against the Washington Wizards last night. As the guest of honor, I will let you go first. Who is your silver lining performance from last night's game?
3: Yeah, I'm going to go with P.J. Washington, team-high 20 points, shot 7-17. Three of ten from three, uh, had five rebounds, three assists, three steals, and two blocks as well. So a little bit of everything for him. Uh, the you know he had a really good stretch probably from maybe like mid December to mid January. Went cold for a few games. I want to say this is just his like second time scoring twenty points in the last nine games. I think it's only the fourth time he's actually cracked double figures too. So uh, after such a really great run over four or five weeks, he hit a little bit of a rough patch, but. Good to see him kind of finally get going. I know it came in a loss, but sometimes it, it, if you if you have a game like this, you just see the ball go through the net a little bit more. It can kind of get things going and point it in the right direction. I thought he was aggressive uh, with his outside shooting, not passing up shots, driving to the basket. His floater seemed to be working a little bit better, too. So, uh, again, silver linings, I know it came in a loss, but it, it was good to kind of see some shots start to fall from P.J. he's had kind of a tough up-and-down stretch the last,
4: Seven or eight games. Over to PJ. Head fakes the three. He'll drive instead. Spin move. Nice one. Up on the right hand floater is good. Excellent move there by PJ Washington. He is the fourth Hornet to double figures now with 10. And the Hornets have put together four in a row, leading 67 to 65.
1: That was early on there in that third quarter before things went south for the Hornets. But yeah, PJ, 36 minutes out there on the floor. The shooting wasn't the greatest efficiency-wise, but again, nobody shot the ball particularly well for the most part last night. He was 7-17 from the field, 3-10 beyond the arc. Did go 3-4 for four at the free throw line as well. And like you mentioned, those five rebounds, three assists, a couple of blocks, a couple of steals. Did a little bit of everything yesterday, so certainly a little bit of a breakout performance from PJ because he has been struggling as of late, so certainly good to see him out there on the floor producing at a high level because, again, we haven't really seen that a whole lot from P.J. Washington. He ends up being a plus six in the plus minus. That's the you know second highest of anybody on the plus minus front in terms of Charlotte Hornets players from last night's game. LaMelo Ball was a plus seven, which was good to see, but again, he had a little bit of foul trouble there late in the fourth quarter. A lot of it was just kind of frustrating fouls, but P.J. Washington, certainly a solid pick for silver lining performance from last night's game. For me, I kind of went back and forth on two of the bench guys in this one. I'm going to go with Mark Williams. 17 minutes out there on the floor, nearly perfect on the field Four Four or five from the field shooting one for two at the charity stripe finishes with eight rebounds which four of which were offensive and then he had two blocks out there as well only turned the ball over once was a plus one in the plus minus only player coming off the bench that was a positive in the plus minus and he also had nine points which was tied for a team high for points off the bench along with dennis smith jr but dsj played 25 minutes mark only played 17 and was still able to get out there and have a lot of production. I thought he did a pretty good job last night. And again, it's one of those things, Sam, that we talk about and some things that have that we've heard from fans of the team and that sort of thing and other members of the media is that Mark Williams needs to play more. Mark Williams needs to play more. Well, yeah, he needs to play more, but you've got a guy in front of him like Mason Plumlee that is putting up a career year and got hurt in last night's game in the third quarter, had a hand sprain, came back and still played in the game and was still effective. I mean, he only ended up missing about 5 minutes of game action while he went and got his hand checked out in the locker room. So, I get that Mark Williams needs to play more, but it's one of those situations where it just there's nowhere for him to go right now based on the way that this roster is constructed, but even when he's out there on the floor, he's still be able to make a huge impact and just show what he's capable of here. At the NBA level.
3: Yeah, Mark was great last night, and especially with the, you know, Mason got in a little bit of foul trouble there late in the first half and then had the injury, had to go to the locker room. So that kind of threw off Mark's minutes or playing groups just a little bit. Uh, But overall, I mean, this is what you've wanted to see. Every time he's come in, since he got into the rotation, maybe in late December on that that road trip out west, you know, he comes in, he produces, and he plays well. And I think he got off to maybe a little bit of a tough start last night, but ended up finishing with close to a double-double. Great job rolling to the rim. He's got great hands around the basket. You I know, mean, he does all the little things well. I mean, his footwork is really good. Great rebounder. He he not only blocks shots, but he also alters shots at the rim and makes it hard for opposing players to get up quality looks too. So uh really really good stuff from him he's picked up things quickly you know when coaches talk about him that's kind of the first thing they say or his teammates he picks things up quickly he's a quick learner ask a lot of questions you know improving so yeah mark's been great and yeah it's great to kind of see it get better and better and he plays well when he's on the floor i mean that's that's i think one of the highest compliments you can give guys when he's out on the floor he generally plays well and, and the hornets have seen that from their rookie mark williams
1: Mark Williams and PJ Washington certainly very viable picks for silver lining performances from last night's 118 to 104 loss. Again, Hornets now with a fifth consecutive L on the slate. We'll look to turn things around tomorrow night in front of a national TV audience, nonetheless, against the Boston Celtics. We will have your game preview, of course, tomorrow on the Hornets Hivecast. But in the meantime, one more segment to go on today's edition of the HHC. We got to talk about the latest news on Hornets.com, written by the one and only Sam Perley. We're going to discuss his latest article on Teo Maladon. That comes your way right after this on a Hornets Hivecast.
0: The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com.
1: I won! Private, put down your phone. This is the army. Sartre, High
2: Five Casino is a social casino. It's on your phone. goes wherever you go. I win three spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. I want again. Platoon, present cell phone. High Five. High Five. Casino. Casino. Win at High Five Casino. Dot com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. Snag a job is where America goes to hire
4: Ty Jones to Teo Maladon reverses course, goes to his left, left alone for three, yes sir Teo Maladon rips the net cord drilling another Lowe's three point shot, he's got a dozen Hornets are back on top 78 to 75
1: Teo Maladon being a very productive member of both the Hornets and the Greensboro Swarm over the course of his tenure here so far in his first season in the Queen City and in Greensboro, of course, as well. Rob Longo and Sam Pro, the lead writer of Hornets.com with you, putting a button on today's edition of the Hornet Tivecast, as always presented by Senta. And Sam, wanted to touch on your latest article on Hornets.com. It's titled, The Insep Influence on Teo Maladon. Now, Insep is an acronym, mostly large in part because of the abbreviated moniker for Francis National Institute of Sport Expertise and Performance, but better known as Insep and the influence that it had on Teo Maladon. I thought this was a really interesting read. You really took a deep dive kind of into Teo's upbringing and what he really went through, beginning basically at the age of three, going to different sports academies, really honing in on that craft. Both of his parents were professional basketball players. They both played growing up. His father played in the third and fourth tier French leagues. His mother is now a physiotherapist, but was a member of France's junior national team. Both very, very talented athletes. They were able to pass those genes on to Teo, and we've seen what he's been able to accomplish here, like I said, both at the Hornets level at the NBA, of course, and in Greensboro as well over the course of his two-way contract here in Charlotte. But I just wanted to get your thoughts on basically what you were able to kind of uncover with the influence that he had at Incep with this article and how it kind of brought him to basically the player he had today because, again, I want to understand and get your side of things before I kind of not barrage you with questions but kind of pose a different theory based on some of the European players and how they have their upbringing and how they are developed in Europe compared to here in America, which is, again, what most of us are used to.
3: First off, thank you so much, as always, for for the plug and for reading it and, you know, the backgrounds of guys and how they've got to the league it's always been something that's kind of fascinated me. There's been four or 500 guys in the league every single season, and each one of them got to the NBA through a different path, You know, whether it was coming through a different college program or a different post-grad program like the G League Ignite or coming from a different country or something like that. I mean, everyone's path is, is a little bit different, uh, which I find kind of really, really fascinating. And, and Pateo, his went through Incept in, in Paris, and you know, his journey there began when he was three years old playing in a – Uh, for a smaller club program in the northern area of France. He's from a town called, uh, I think it's pronounced Rowan, in the Normandy region, and then played there. And then he gravitated toward the bigger Rowan club there and then got accepted to Incept when he was 14 in Paris and then played there for a few years. And, you know, a lot of guys the NBA have come through there. Tony Parker, Boris Diaw, Evan Fournier, Ronnie Turioff, Clint Capella. You know, it's been kind of like if you're a really, really talented French player, most of them are coming through Incept, and they get identified at a very early age, and you go through the program, and it's intense. It's a a big, you know, this this institute was founded in the 70s. It kind of merged the Institute of Sport with sort of the scientific element, you know, kind of combining the two, and was really at the forefront of probably a lot of the sports science, medicine kind of stuff we see today. Um, You know, it's been a big and it's not just basketball. They they have a lot of different sports there. I think it's 27 different Olympic and Paralympic sports. I think half of France's Olympic medals have been won by won by athletes that went through INSEP or trained at INSEP, um, and that lots of world championships as well so Teo said it was a lot like you know I think he went there when he was 14 and it's a lot like kind of a traditional college program it's, it's wake up it's practice it's breakfast it's school it's practice lunch practice I mean it was all basketball all the time it's a very very regimented at times strict disciplined program that they go through but you know the process really works and, and it got him to the point where he is today and uh I thought it was interesting that when Mark um Mark Dagnall the, Apologies, I'm not pronouncing his name correctly. The Oklahoma City coach was Tao's first coach at the Thunder, and he said a lot of the stuff when they first got him in Oklahoma City. They noticed how regimented he was, how, how you know attentive to he was to the stuff off the court, like stretching, you know, bands, things like that too. So I thought it was really interesting that he's he has this really sort of disciplined. You know, way that he goes about his basketball career, and you know, he, it's it's you know, he's obviously taken a big step since he got into the league, and uh, he was on the national team last summer, that won a silver medal at EuroBasket, and you know, hopefully, if things kind of continue the right way, you know, he'll be on the World Cup team again this summer, and then hopefully in the Olympics next summer, which are going to be in Paris too. So the program is is I find it just really fascinating. It's something that's a little bit different. I don't think we necessarily have something like this in the United States, but. It's a really kind of cool state-of-the-art. You know, If you go on their website, there's tons of pictures of all their facilities and things like that, too. So really kind of – and I thought that one of the craziest things that he was in is he – I think when he was 14 or 15, Incept is affiliated with a third-tier French League team. They basically put all their players on this team to kind of get them used to playing professionally, and they're playing against – these are 14-, 15-, 16-year-old kids that are playing against – basically 26 27 28 year old men in in like a third tier french league uh, and i think they had a stretch and Teo's two years on the team they only won one game. I mean, they were just kind of getting thrown to the fire every single night. But I think that's kind of part of the process. It, it makes them ready for professional and, and physicality and things like that, too. So after that, he moved to Asvell and the League and the LNB Pro-A and took off from there. So very long-winded answer. It was very kind of I found it so interesting, all the stuff in it. So it was really, really cool to kind of dive into how he got to the NBA.
1: Before I get to my more overarching question that I've now teased for about 30 times, but something that you talked about in there brought up another point that I wanted to ask you. You talked about his time at Oklahoma City where he was very in tune with kind of the behind-the-scenes thing, the intangibles, I guess, if you want to call it for lack of a better term, about the stretching and taking care of your body and just being used to that workflow, I guess, more or less, because the biggest thing we hear with rookies here in the NBA, especially you hear it from guys like Mark Williams, is just the increase of volume when it comes from game time from college to the NBA, just the number of games and the frequency of games. In college, you're playing once or twice a week until you get to the tournament and you have practice almost every day. You have time to get better and that sort of thing. You don't really get that at the NBA level, especially, I mean, heck, the Hornets had multiple days off this week for the first time and maybe, I think it ended up being about two Weeks, but before that, it was probably about a month before they had multiple days off. So, with all that said, I guess basically what I'm trying to say is Teo was a little bit of a late add on here with the Hornets. Of course, he is on that two way deal. So, you know, it was kind of a, I don't want to say a last resort for Teo, but it was definitely a great pickup for the Hornets. Don't get me wrong, because obviously he's been able to be such a valuable member of this team, both, like I said, at the NBA and Greensboro. But I guess this is me having a long-winded question of, because he was a late add-on to this roster and he was able to be impactful so quickly, does his background at Incep and his upbringing kind of help in that regard to he can kind of flourish in almost any situation? Do you kind of get that vibe
3: from it? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, he's, you know, again, he's only 21 years old, but he's been playing professionally since he was 14. I mean, a third of his life he's been playing against professional players, which is, you know, a very, very unique thing to have at this point in your career. And, yeah, I, I definitely agree. And you know, That's something I didn't necessarily think about, but how adaptable he, he has been and, you know, he playing in sort of different environments, playing for different teams, playing against different – I mean, you know, with the, the way the leagues kind of work over there is that you can go on – I mean, you can be moving around a whole lot. I guess it's similar to here with the Greensboro and Charlotte, but you can play for the, you know, the team he played for primarily. The, the biggest club he played for before he came to the NBA was called Asbel – in in france it was owned by tony parker still is owned by tony parker and he would play you know, play games in the french league and then you play games in the under 21 league sometimes um and then you play games in the euro league or the euro cup i mean you're kind of bouncing all over the place in, tr- in the quality of competition so some nights you might be starting and playing this amount of minutes. Some nights you might not be playing at all. Some nights you might be, you know, other players. You get loaned out to different teams and different leagues and different countries and things like that. So you can kind of move around a lot. I forget what the total was. It was something like over 100 something games he already played in the LB Pro A league over there or the Euro League by the time he got to the NBA. That's that's incredible amount of experience. The games they play over there, playing 60, 70, 80 games in a season already at age. 16 or 17 years old too so there's definitely a unique characteristic about a lot of the european players that just go they go pro and start playing pro so young that you know they have some some i guess advantages in terms of experience coming to the nba uh but that's not to say obviously the nba players there's you know different stuff here they're a little bit more used to the american game to the nba game you know there's there's sometimes an adjustment coming from europe over here too so each one's a little bit different in its own way but That's certainly something that I think has helped him in his transition to kind of going from Oklahoma City to Houston to Charlotte and then kind of back and forth to Greensboro as well.
1: One more point I want to make on this topic here, Sam, and this is finally the point that I've been teasing for the last 30 times, like I mentioned, is the fact that you kind of alluded to it already. These European guys, they come over, and for the most part, they have a pretty – quick success rate for the most part. Tao Maldon's a good example. The biz, the biggest example is probably Luka Doncic, obviously. I mean, he was tearing it up in the Spanish leagues at the age of 16, and then he comes over, and now he has this already blossomed great career in front of him already where he's already in the MVP conversation and leading the Mavericks and that sort of thing. Then you got some of the other guys in there, like Alprin Sengun is a guy that has started to really rise the ranks here over the last couple of weeks for the Houston Rockets. It seems like these guys are having so such quick success because of this academy-like style. I always kind of equate it to soccer where in America, obviously, it's mostly travel, soccer, it's AAU, it's maybe getting your academy training in the off season, and then it's your high school and then you go on and you play in college and if you're lucky enough maybe you go overseas but in Europe and that sort of thing you have these academies where it's all soccer all the time and I'm not saying that it's one great way to do it or one wrong way to do it or anything like that it's just a little bit different it's not what we're accustomed to now the NBA has really grown into a global game especially over the last two decades or so Victor Webinata is going to be more than likely the number one overall pick big tall Frenchman coming from Europe, he's already been playing professionally for the last couple of years. Is this a thing that we're going to see moving forward where I'm not saying we're not going to see as many Americans or players in North America become these elite, elite talents, but it just seems like day in and day out, this game just, it just seems like everything just continues to expand at this rapid rate. So is there something that we can maybe just learn from this model moving forward to, I know a lot of people think that, going the AAU route is the correct way. Trying to play against the stiffest competition is the correct way and maybe not focusing as much as maybe your high school team or that sort of thing. But again, I just think this is all very fascinating stuff about how to develop this talent and hone this talent because, again, there's no right or wrong way. I don't think there is, at least at this point, of what we've been able to see from both the American side, European side, whatever side. But I just think it's all very fascinating how everything's done a little bit different there and with such an emphasis on the game of basketball in the training.
3: Yeah, I mean different countries have different kind of models of how they use things. And we saw that with LaMelo going through um the Next Stars program down in Australia, the NBL, and Josh Giddy is also did the same program. So, I think it's more a testament to there's just so much basketball talent all over the world that there's more opportunities for more players to get noticed. I mean, you've got camps, you know, basketball without borders now in South America. Um, in Asia and Africa, I mean, the scouts have now, you know, instead of just kind of locking in on only the United States and only Europe, I mean, they go all over the world to find basketball talent in in all these different leagues and things like that. So I think that's also part of it, too, is like there's always been talent out there, but now it's getting noticed and developed, you know, with these camps, with Basketball Without Borders, with, you know, Nike Hoop Summit, things like that, to kind of find those guys out there like the Luka Doncic's like the the Joel Embiid's or the Pascal Siakam's or guys like that. So, uh yeah, it's fascinating. I love I love seeing the game grow. I think it's one of the the coolest parts about it to see how all over the world there's NBA fans, there's basketball fans in all these different countries and how they view it and experience it and interpret it, it is just it what makes things really really cool too. So, uh, I'm excited to see kind of what the next step is in terms of, you know, the international game and and what players kind of make their way into the NBA and become stars like we've seen with the Giannis and the Lucas and guys like that. If you want to read
1: more about it, it's titled The Incept Influence on Teo Maladon," written by the one and only lead writer of Hornets.com, Sam Purley. Sam, thank you so much for joining me on today's edition of the Hornets Hivecast. We'll talk to you Saturday as we recap Hornets at Boston and get ready for another international player that the Hornets will take on, a two-time MVP, Nikola Jokic, in the Denver Nuggets on
3: Saturday. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
1: And thanks to all of you for tuning in as well. For Sam Purley, I'm Rob Longo saying thank you so much for joining us on today's edition of the Hornets Hivecast, and we'll see you tomorrow once
2: again on EHHC. Thank you for listening to the Hornets Hivecast, brought to you by Senta, the official eye, ear, nose, and throat care provider of the Charlotte
0: Hornets. For more coverage, visit hornets.com.